Well, welcome. We are glad to see all of you. Carolyn and I are glad to be home. We have been on the road. Uh, we left on the 11th and drove to Idaho, and uh, the mad dash began uh, to get our place ready to put on the market. And Monday morning at last week, this past week, we met with the realtor. We put it on the market. We'll see what happens. And then we went back home from the realtor, and the mad dash went on. So I, I sprayed weeds and did all kinds of things, and Carolyn straightened up the house beautifully and took all the jewelry out and all of that kind of stuff. And... Uh, <clears throat> In fact, one, one day I said, you know, I'll be glad to get home and get back to work so I can get my mind off this property and the sale of this property. I, I don't want to think about that anymore. And then uh, this past Wednesday morning, I had a 7 o'clock appointment at the VA hospital in Spokane, which is where I go. And... Uh, so we drove up to Spokane Tuesday night on our way home. We were going to go up there, um, have the appointment, then leave straight from the appointment, head out I-90 to 395, down 395 to 84, and out to home. And so we went up there Tuesday night and stayed with Carolyn's brother and his wife, uh, Conrad and Marjean. And they live in a nice neighborhood there and um, and we just packed the little duffel bag to take in with us because we knew it was fast in and fast out. I had to be at the doctor at 7 a.m. And um, we got up that morning and went out to the car around 6 o'clock and found out that it had been broken into. And um, boy, did they steal. Uh, and you know, when I'm out like this, doing interim work, my briefcase is my office. So everything is in my briefcase. My checkbook, our passports, uh, DD-214s, ordination documents, and uh, of course my Bible, my Bible of 35 years. There were probably dozens of places in that Bible that I could open up and preach an immediate sermon. And, um, oh, um, Carolyn's brand new computer and her computer case. And uh, they took my duffel bag, took all my clothes. Uh, fortunately, I had more underwear in the trailer. And uh, so um, uh, it was a chore, I'll tell you. And uh, we felt violated and and uh, 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 so we're driving back then. I go to the appointment. Uh, we're driving back. Carolyn is driving. And I'm on the telephone, my cell phone, with the police department in Spokane, with the State Department in Washington, um, with the bank, of course, and uh, changing passwords and all kinds of things. Uh, with the insurance company, and uh, several times with each one of those. And at a point in time, 
on I-84, Carolyn taps me on the shoulder and says, well, have you forgotten about the house by now? (laughs) I thought it was great. And that morning, we, we hadn't eaten anything. We stopped someplace at a McDonald's, and I got an egg McMuffin, and and wouldn't you know it, there were eggshells in my egg. <laughs> so we came home and we went down to Kevin's and said we wanted to order new Bibles. My Bible, uh, I, 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 you know, at home in Idaho, I have a shelf full of Bibles. But um, I said, I need a new Bible, Kevin. And so we ordered up a new Bible and uh, he gave me a loner. Uh, I don't like it. Uh, I probably won't like the new one. Uh, And then uh, Friday morning, I uh, took Carolyn. Our car's got a big hole in it, you know. The back window, the back uh, uh, right-hand door window, they broke out. And what I didn't realize was that in these factory uh, alarm systems, if they break a window, the alarm won't go off. They have to unlock or open a door. And these guys knew they took everything out through that window, briefcases, computer, my duffel bag, and and all of that through that one window. And uh, so it's got a hole in it. I've got cardboard taped over it because we had to drive home. And so I took Carolyn to an appointment Friday morning over at Coffee Culture, And wouldn't you know, right in the middle of the driveway, my truck quits. And of course, Les Schwab is right over there. So I walk over to Les Schwab, and I get a guy to come over, and uh, I said, everything is dead. And it was in park, and when everything is dead in that truck, you can't even get it out of park. So so, uh, he came, and he says, the battery is dead. Well, it was seven years old. I knew it was... Uh, maybe on its last legs. and So he put a new battery in it, and I drove it around the Les Schwab, because, of course, I had to pay for the battery. And I said, by the way, before I leave here, would you put a check on the alternator? He did, and it wasn't. And so uh, I called London on the phone, and London says, bring it over right now. And uh, by the way, while I'm sitting there in the driveway, one of our guys from our church stops and says, hey, you having trouble? Can I help you? Can I take you someplace? Can I stay here with you? And I thought that was just great. And uh, so uh, I go over to London, and $500 later, I have a new alternator and a new battery. And and so you've heard of Alexander and his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Well, Carolyn and I have had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week. But we are good. We want you to know that. We, We are not angry. Um, uh, the, the beauty of it is, is that, uh, I think we both responded. Okay. Uh, God is, God is in us and we love him more than all the stuff. And it's, it's not about the stuff. Uh, actually it's more about, it's more about the, the things that are, in, were in my heart, my Bible and Carolyn's Bible and her journal, and uh, and the first gift she ever gave to me before we were married over 52 years ago was a uh, 
a $1.98 papermate pen. And I put that in that briefcase so I would never, never lose it. I said, I'm, I'm never going to use that pen. And now my pen is gone. And so those, you know, it's worth nothing except what it's worth to me. Somebody opens up my Bible and they look at all those Greek words written in there. They're going to mean nothing to anybody except to me. But I've, I've thought about a couple of things. Here's the first one. The first one is when you live in a world where the devil is the God. You know that? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says he is the God of this world. He uses theos cosmos. He is the God of this world. When you live in a world where the devil is God, you're going to be affected by that world. You can't escape it. And uh, I realize that more now than I think I've realized it before. It makes me more aware of even the, the movies I watch, the commercials I look at, the billboards I pass. It makes me aware of how far the devil has infiltrated into our world. And here I am, and God wants me to demonstrate Jesus to this world. And so we're going to be affected, and this is one of the ways we get affected. The second thing I thought about is that God is still God. Isn't that great? And that's, that's what keeps us going the knowledge that God is still God. Uh, I was reminded of uh, King Louis the um, the Fourteenth in in uh, France. He died in 1715. He he uh, became king when he was only five years old, and he was a beloved king in France. And when he died, they had this humongous memorial service for him and uh, the cathedral in Paris was filled with people and most of the clergy from that part of France was there and uh, the room was dark except for one candle and that candle was there to illuminate the massive casket that King Louis was in it was uh, it was there to emphasize the greatness of Louis. It was there to uh, emphasize uh, uh, who he was and how great he was. And, and then the, the court preacher, uh, Massillon, got up to the pulpit and he reached out with his fingers and snuffed out the candle. And the room went black. And out of the darkness, he spoke these four words. Only God is great. And I think that's where we have to live. In that truth. No matter what our day is like. No matter, you know, we had our week. But all lots of you have weeks too. And lots of you have marriages and kids and and jobs, and careers, and all kinds of things. Then when you combine them together, it's, it could be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. But God 
only God is great. And see, you and I are placed here to glorify God. Let's talk about glorify for just a minute. The word means to honor or exalt, to worship or to give great praise to. It's actually the translation of the Greek word uh, glory is doxa. That's the noun form. Glorify, to glorify. That's the Greek word doxadzo. And what it really means is to make an expression or a declaration about somebody. It means to uphold somebody's reputation. And the hundreds of times you see the idea of glorifying God, it really means that we are making a statement about who God is. It's like worship. The best definition I know of worship is from the old word, English word, that that word comes from. Uh, You might notice I like words. Worship comes from the old English word, worth-ship, meaning that you declare somebody's worth. And so when we worship God, we declare his worth. Uh, you You are a great, great father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I am loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. The result is... We glorify God, and uh, in the process of glorifying God, we uphold his declaration, I mean his reputation. And I think sometimes we in our world tend to glorify all the wrong things. And if we're not careful, our children will end up glorifying the wrong things. And so God's purpose for making man and for making us Christians is to glorify himself. God's purpose in allowing things to happen to us is so that we can show a world how to respond when bad things happen. And the beauty of it is uh, a lot of times bad things become good things based on how the people that they happen to respond. And we get to glorify God in the process. Now you say, how does all of that fit, Pastor, with this passage in Galatians chapter 1? Well, I'm going to show you. So let's take a look at our text in your outline. First of all, we want to talk about the visitation that Paul made to Arabia and Damascus. Uh, The visitation that he made to Arabia and Damascus. And here's the text from the end of verse 16 and then 17. He says, I did not immediately consult. Circle the word consult. Uh, uh, It's the uh, Greek word prosantizemi. Now, I know that's meaningless to you, but it really means to... Uh, learn an opinion. So this idea of prosantithemi is that Paul did not go to somebody else to find out their opinion about what had happened to him. 
remember that Paul is talking about this whole experience that he had on the Damascus Road. He met the resurrected Christ on the Damascus Road. He was struck blind. And it was a it was and and all of a sudden a lot of Paul's theology is being reformed because the Christ and the cross is being inserted into that theology. And so Paul says, I didn't go to seek to see if anybody else what their opinion would be of that. I did not consult with uh, uh, flesh and blood. And flesh and blood means mankind in general. It implies weakness and um, uh, futility and and, um, uh, ignorance. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia, and returned once more to Damascus. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that his commission and Paul's message came to him directly from God. Directly from God. In other words, it was not brought to him through any human intervention. We've talked about that before. The main thing that Paul hangs on to is that he got his truth directly from the resurrected Christ, not from other preachers, not from, uh, not from other apostles, not from church councils anyplace. He got it directly from Christ. Why did Paul go to Arabia? I think he went to Arabia for two reasons. Here's the first one. He had to think out. He had to think out this tremendous thing that had happened to him on the road to Damascus. Paul had to take all of his Pharisaic traditions and fit them in to an entirely new system of theology. Now Paul suddenly realizes that the most important thing in the Old Testament, is the cross. And he's got to sit down someplace, and he's got to think this out. He's got to reason this out. Paul was a thinker. I mean, if you read his writings, there's no question about that. And the second reason is, he had to speak to God before he spoke to men. He had to be sure of himself before he could face a ministry that was going to be very difficult. Any preacher that doesn't talk to God before he preaches has got to be a fool in my mind. Uh, I pray about the messages all week long. Pastor Josh prays before he gets up and preaches. And Carolyn and I pray about this message. Even on Sunday morning, before I come very early to the church, we pray together to ask God to bless the words that come out of here. And that's what Paul is doing. He had to talk to God before he went and spoke to men. Out of all of this thinking and out of all of this talking, this speaking, emerged 
the Pauline system of doctrine as we have it presented in the book of Romans. It was not the work of a day. It was the work of years. He was isolated, and he isolated himself. By the way, that's a good thing. We are celebrating a day today where some of us are fasting, and, uh, and we oftentimes hook fasting up with prayer. And it would be a good idea for you to go find a closet for an hour this afternoon someplace and just talk to God. Just pray. Talk to God. Let him see your open heart and you look into God's heart as well. Let him speak to you. Uh, Paul is realizing the cross is the central fact of the Old Testament. And then he went to Damascus to preach to the people who knew him best and, um, and who knew him best. Isn't that great? Did I put it up there like that? I love it. Uh, that's okay. Uh, I will never forget, I had been in the ministry already for at least 20 years when I was asked to preach at Furnace Street Baptist Church in Shikshini, Pennsylvania. And when I got up on that platform and I looked down there, those people knew me. They knew me like you don't know me. They knew me when I was young. They knew me when I was stupid. They knew me before I was a Christian. And I was never so glad to get out of there as I was that day. And the Apostle Paul went to the people who knew him best. Let's take a look at the introduction to Peter and James. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas. That's Peter. Circle the word acquainted. It's the Greek word uh, historeo. It's the word we get our English word history from. Uh, it literally means to visit in order to know. To visit in order to know. So he went to visit Peter in order to know Peter. And the reason we study history is to visit a time in order to know that time and find out what implications it might have for us with Cephas, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. And it appears that the apostle Paul kind of takes an oath in this verse. You might remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, when I was preaching that Jesus said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, I said, we should not take oaths. We should not say by the, by the, the grave of my mother or as surely as God lives, uh, this is true. And the reason we shouldn't, because we should always tell the truth. Uh, there might, however, be 
some unique circumstances under which we would take an oath. One of them would be when we are uh, testifying in court and we raise our hand and we swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help you God. And uh, uh, in fact, we said it was okay to do that. We don't, we don't say don't, don't do that. Um, but Paul was in a unique situation. And let me tell you what uh, two of the commentators say. Lightfoot says this. The strength of the Apostle Paul's language is to be explained by the unscrupulous calamities cast upon him by his enemies. So Paul, these people were coming in to the church at Galatia and they were lying about Paul and they were saying all of this stuff. And Paul is, is by that, Paul feels the need to take an oath about what he's saying here. And then A.T. Robertson says, so important does he deem the point that he makes a solemn oath about it. So uh, there might be some unique circumstances in our lives where we might take an oath as well. And as a result, Paul must have felt the need to do that. Let me take a look at Paul's conversion and travels. This is not in your outline. If you have a corner, you might want to jot it down. First of all, Paul's conversion took place in A.D. 33. Now, that would have been a matter, a short time after Jesus raised from the dead. It was after the ascension, we believe, but after Jesus raised and ascended, he appeared to Paul. Perhaps it was a matter of a few months. And you can read all about that in Acts chapter 9, where Paul met Jesus. In fact, that would be a good thing to read in your devotions sometime this week. Uh, Acts chapter 9, in order to get a feel for where he's coming from in all of this. Paul then went to Arabia from 33 to 35. That's where Paul engulfs himself in the thinking through of all of this theology. And uh, nearly three years he spends there thinking through this theology and talking to God about it, saying, God, how can this be? And, and God answers him back and says, it's this way because I predicted it in the, in the Old Testament so many. And Paul becomes absolutely convinced. And then in 35 AD, the apostle Paul visits Jerusalem where he meets up with, with uh, Peter and uh, James. And then... In from 35 to 38, he travels throughout Syria and Cilicia. And he is uh, making those travels in an attempt to communicate the gospel to multiple people. The three years that he speaks of in these verses refer to the period of time after his conversion, not the period of time after his return from Arabia. It's after his conversion. So we think he's in Arabia around three years. Paul was driven out of Damascus. You can see that also in Acts chapter 9. 
and uh, went to Jerusalem to meet Peter. And then I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul calls James an apostle. That is significant. Uh, It is significant because it means that James also saw and met the resurrected Christ. And you might remember that James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 when the council is held there to do away with law and to present gospel by grace plus nothing. And James comes out and he takes authority over all the other pastors, even over the apostles. And James, the pastor, the, the, the uh, senior pastor of Jerusalem, comes in and says, uh, this is the way it's going to be. And so uh, James saw Christ himself and is an apostle. So we looked at the visitation. We looked at the introduction. Let's look at the impression he made. And we see that beginning in verse 21. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches. Circle the word unknown. It's the Greek word agnoeo. Agnoeo. It's the word we get our English word agnostic from. It means to not know. I love agnostics. An agnostic says... You can't know anything for sure. And I love to ask them, well, how do you know? (laughs) And so this is where we get our word agnostic. I was unknown to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us, is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And notice these words. And they were glorifying God because of me. That's why we started the message this way. What does it mean to glorify? They were glorifying God because of the Apostle Paul. And what were they glorifying about? They were glorifying about the kind of man he once was and the kind of man he now is. That's the significant issue. These people in the churches did not recognize Paul on sight. They didn't know him. They couldn't say, oh, there goes Paul, because they didn't recognize him. They kept hearing about his past. And when they realized the implications of that, They were glorifying God because of the Apostle Paul. Remember, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let me explain that a light A floodlight. A floodlight calls attention not to themselves, but to the object they illuminate. 
And that's what you and I are supposed to do. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you this statement. Whenever God transforms a life, there is always a change, thus glorifying God. Now, you can put any kind of word you want in there. You can use biblical words. Whenever God regenerates a life, whenever God sanctifies a life, you can say whenever God converts a life, or whenever God transforms a life, there is always a change, thus glorifying God. I submit to you that if you want to know how to share the gospel, you only have to make a statement in a couple of sentences. This is what I was like before, and this is what I'm like after. It is as simple as that. Of course, saying in the process that meeting Jesus Christ, the, the crucified, resurrected Christ, is, is the thing that made the change. Uh, when I went to Alaska, I was in a group of people who went scattered all over the world because the job that we did was none of it was done inside the continental United States. It was always done outside of that. And at that time, Alaska, although it was a state, it was it was outside the continent, what we consider uh, that part of the United States. And so it was considered overseas duty. One of the guys went to Japan. And years later, he was talking to a friend, and he was showing a friend uh, a mirror that he had that was made out of metal. And it was so finely made and so highly polished that you could see the perfect image, just like you were looking in a glass mirror, but it was metal. And uh, his friend was, was being overwhelmed with the quality of the, of the work in this mirror. And uh, he was saying, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever seen. I'd love to have one of these. I mean, it's made out of metal, not glass. And his friend said, yeah, but he said, the mirror isn't made to see yourself. He said, take it over to the window and let the sun shine on the mirror. And he took it over to the window, and the sun shone on the mirror and made a reflection on the wall, and it was the perfect image of Buddha. See, here's the thing. God has hammered an image into every child of God, and that image is of himself. And what he wants to do today is he wants to put Jesus Christ on display through you and through me. And perhaps as we, we're going to serve you communion this morning, perhaps as we do that, it's a good opportunity for you to say, where is the display tarnished? And take care of that between you and the Lord this morning. Let's pray together.
Father, it is on the one hand an awesome privilege to think that you want to show your son to the world whose God is the devil through me. And on the other hand, it is an awesome responsibility. I only want, Father, for you to own me. Bring to my mind those things where ownership is difficult and allow me, Father, to be the image that you want me to be. And as corporately and combined and separately, we do that as a church. We pray, Father, that it will bring change to our lives, our homes, our careers, our communities, uh, all, all of that. And as we take communion in these moments, we give ourselves to you for that purpose. In Jesus' sweet name we pray. Amen.